This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Joining us on the Schneider Orange Hotline, Eric, how you doing, man? I'm great. How are you? We're doing well. So uh, the Bucks nodded up last night, a game apiece. Let me ask you this, um, because some people say, well, you know, the Bucks were hitting their shots and the Celtics weren't, which I thought the narrative was just basically flipped by what went on actually in game one. So how do you see this victory from last night? I think it's it's similar to in game one where I would guess Bucks fans probably said, you know, Giannis isn't going to have the worst game of his playoff career again. Bledsoe isn't going to miss all of, shot, all of his shots again. Uh, I, I think that's kind of how Bucks fans treated game one. And, you know, Celtics fans probably just, had a rebuttal of, you know, that was our defense. Like, our defense is what made them struggle. And I think that was largely the same thing, you know, most people would come away from game two. Celtics fans can surely say, oh, Kyrie Irving had the worst night of his playoff career. Um, you know, that, that's not going to happen again. They missed shots. But really, when you look at it, Mike Boonholder decided that the Bucks were going to switch one through four. So Giannis to smaller, and then Lopez was going to play his normal defense. And Essentially what it did was it took away all the easy shots that the Celtics were getting. Uh, even even some of them to Al Horford, even though they didn't change the coverage on Al Horford. Uh, so they took away a bunch of that and then in many ways kind of baited the Celtics into thinking, okay, I, I got to switch, so I have this slow guy that can't cover me. I'm going to try to take him one-on-one. And the Celtics took a lot of bad shots. And they have a lot of guys on that team that make bad shots. Uh, or tough shots, I, I guess you would say. But I think last night, to me, the the big thing was the Bucks deciding to switch defensively. Uh, it's something that they haven't really done this entire season. And they went out and did a game two. They executed, and they made it really tough on the Celtics. So uh, I think both game one and game two, obviously it's going to depend which fan base you're talking to. But I think in both game one and game two, you saw two defenses and with Boston in game one and then with the Bucks in game two, two defenses that made it really tough on the other team. And that's where you really found a lot of missed shots. So uh, I think it's going to make game three really interesting because, you know, now both teams have kind of thrown their punches. And uh, obviously in a seven-game series, you probably each have a counterpunch. Uh, so we'll see the Celtics counterpunch in game three. We'll probably see the Bucks counterpunch in game four. And then once you get to five, six, and seven, it, at that point you know each other. You, you don't have any more adjustments. You, you just have to go out and play and, and see who, who can end up winning. So uh, to me, that's kind of how I see this playing out. But that also means in game three, I'm not 100% sure what's going to happen. Um, how big was Bledsoe last night in your estimation? I thought it was huge. Uh, when I think what is really happening with Bledsoe sometimes is he can get caught up in trying to be a distributor and he can get caught up in trying to, to be a point guard and run things when in reality, that's not what this Bucks offense is about. Like this Bucks offense works when everyone tries to get to the basket, get their own buckets. And that's when Bledsoe's truly at his best. When he just says, you know what? I'm quicker than you. 
if I'm not quicker than you, I'm stronger than you. And if we're not quicker and stronger than you, I have better instincts and better moves than you do. And I'm going to get to the rack and I'm going to finish. And I thought, I mean, honestly, the, the first play of the game was kind of a nice summation of that. He goes baseline and he's not worried about scoring. He's worried about trying to make a pass and he tosses it down the other, to the other end. The Celtics go out to a 2-0 lead. And that's, that's the butt though you don't want to see. You, you don't want to see him thinking, I, I need to be a playmaker. If I turn the corner here, that means I'll have a pass. What you want him thinking is, I'm going to the rack, I'm going to score, and that's going to be it. And I think you, you really saw that version of Eric Bledsoe in the third quarter where he was just downhill all the time, getting to the rack, finishing through people, blowing by guys. Like That is when Eric Bledsoe is really good. And, and that's what the Bucks got last night. And throughout this season, Michael, Mike Budenholzer has always said, we are at our absolute best when Bledsoe is at his best. And I think you saw that last night in the third quarter. Um, and I would agree. I thought it was very interesting because people think about Bledsoe as being some kind of an outside guy. And really, when he started penetrating and opening up the middle, I thought that's when things began to take off because he, because he not only was driving, you had Giannis driving, you had Middleton trying to do a little bit of dribble drive as well. They were hitting those mid-range jumpers, those quick pops. I thought that's when things really began to flow, specifically in the third quarter when they started to take away. Yeah, and I think if you're the Boston Celtics, you, you'd love for Eric Bledsoe to be on the outside. You, you would love for Eric Bledsoe to shoot eight or nine threes in a game because that means he's not attacking. That means he's not getting to the rim. And that's, uh, that's really what makes the Bucks offense dynamic when he's going to the rack and he's going out there and, and really trying to attack. That's what makes them tough to cover. Uh, so, you know, when you have that going, plus you have Middleton have a seven of 10 night from three, like it, it's going to be really tough to beat the Bucks on that night. <laughs> like, whether or not the, the Celtics made more shots or, or played better or whatever, you know, Celtics fans might want to talk about. Like, even if all that happens, I don't think you're beating the Bucks when when those three guys com- combine for 70-plus points and, and just go out there and, and really have themselves a night. So now you go to a game three, and it is a matter of adjustments. Now, they didn't start Sterling Brown. They started Miritich, which uh, was a good move, even though Miritich uh, got a couple of quick fouls and had to sit relatively early. But now what do you think the counter is? Man, I think the big thing for the Celtics is I, they just kind of, in the same way that the Bucks kind of looked like, ironically enough, deer in the headlights in game one, um, I thought the Celtics kind of had that same look when the Bucks came out and started switching stuff. They, they started to think, okay, we got to go one-on-one. Um, okay, I got a mismatch. I, I got to get the basket. And it killed their ball movement. It killed the way that, you know, they really beat the Bucks. Like we, in game one, I think the thing that was most impressive was the Celtics ball movement, the way that their players move around the floor, how crisp their offense looked. And, you know, it was kind of just a total flip from from game one and game two. And in game two, they they looked like they were back on their heels. They were they were seeing the Bucks switch on them, and they just kind of decided that they were going to attack. They were going to try to do what they could to to get to the basket. And I think what you're going to see in game three is they're going to be a lot more collected in those moments. In those moments, they're going to understand that, okay, we're going to get a switch, and then once we get a switch, we're going to run this set. That'll take advantage of that switch. Uh, or we're going to move this guy to this part of the floor so we can actually attack. Like, I think what you'll see is just them being 
a lot more prepared for it, a lot more ready for it. And they'll get an extra day here to, to prepare, obviously, Wednesday, Thursday, game on until Friday. So they'll have a day, an extra day to work through it and, and kind of draw some stuff up. And I think that'll be the counterpunch. And we'll have to see. The Bucks have not switched a lot this season. Uh, and I thought they did a, a really nice job during game two. And after the game, Brad Stevens said, well, you know, they have, they have the personnel for it. They did this to us last year in the playoffs. So they can kind of just, do it like they don't need to talk about it they don't need to work on it a lot but i am curious since they haven't done a lot if in game three you'll see the celtics drop a few more things that really take advantage of those switches and really make the bucks work talking with eric name of the athletic the the bucks are now off to boston how big is this game coming up on friday night because it's not a must win it's 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 not in that realm but if you get this game you're now back on house money yeah, I, I think largely you just got to get one in Boston. And, again, like I don't, I don't think you ever want to go in with, with that low of expectations, especially since you're the one seed. So, uh, obviously, you want to go in trying to win both of them. But I think if you get yourself to a spot where after four games it's tied 2-2 and then you have 5-7 and seven at home, I think you feel pretty confident. Because I think, as I mentioned, through those first four games, You've you've kind of seen everything. You've or at least you've seen a lot of, of what the other teams can do and, and how they can adjust and how they can try different things. So, uh, I, I'm not going to say game three is a must win, but you know if you get to game four and you're down two one, like yeah, that's probably a little bit closer to must win. Uh, you don't want to have to try to come back from a three one lead. So uh, they got to get one of them in Boston, whether that is game three or game four. I, I don't think it much matters, but but they do got to get one. Um, and then if they do get one, and now I agree with you first and foremost, you got to get one. But what is the, the big thing for me with this Bucks team is not necessarily just their starting five, because I think their starting five can go toe to toe with any team in the league. But I think it's their depth. I think that they can throw a combination of different things at you. And we saw Boston play a level of defense and a level of energy in game one that I just don't think they were able to sustain and might have gotten them a little bit going into game two last night. But the Bucks, because they can come at you in waves, that works to their benefit. Do you see it the same way? I think what's important is that they have guys that can kind of switch the way they do things. You you look at a guy like Miritich last night, I think it was pretty clear that from the opening tip, Giannis was going to do everything he could to find Miritich behind the line. And Miritich just isn't at the three-point line. He's he's 30 feet out. And you saw Giannis look at that early. And I think that messed with the way that Boston defended him. And I, I think you saw George Hill come in, and he was incredibly aggressive off the bounce. And, and that is another thing that – that can really kind of change the tempo, can change the way that you cover them. And then, you know, a guy like Pat Connaughton, who I didn't think had a, a very good game one, he ends up playing a lot in game two. And one of the things that he does that's different is he's going to do a lot of back cuts. He's going to do a lot to try to get himself uh, to the rack. And, again, that changes the way that you defend. That's that's going to make you work a little bit harder. So I do think – the, the fact that some of the guys that come off the bench can give you different looks is is really important. So uh, we'll have to we'll have to keep an eye on that. But yeah, I think some depth could really help out. And you know, if you're the Bucks, I would guess you're hoping. Please, could, could Malcolm Brogdon come back? Like, is, is that is that something that that could actually happen? So that's really to me that is something that we'll have to keep an eye on because if Brogdon is out there, even if it's for ten minutes, that's ten more minutes where 
you have to cover whoever that fifth guy on the floor is or that fourth guy on the floor is, and that could be really big going forward. Prediction for game three? I think it's close in the Bucks win. Okay. I'll go with Hey, I'll take that in a heartbeat. Good stuff. Hey, Eric, appreciate it, man, and uh, enjoy the uh, coverage from Beantown, okay? Uh, happily. I'll have some crab cakes and some beer. It'll be great. There you go. We'll talk to you soon. Eric Name of the Athletic joining us for a couple of minutes on the Schneider Orange Hotline. Schneider hiring drivers right now. You work hard. They treat you fair. 80-plus years. They've been getting it done. Call them 844-PRIDE. Go to schneiderjobs.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.